looks like my video is not working. It does look like that, doesn't it? It's probably better that way. <laughs> <laughs> that is probably true. But yeah, so. Okay. Oh, Joel's is working though. That's a good thing. <laughs> Alrighty. Some some people are better heard and not seen anyway. Mm-hmm. I am ready to discuss the masterpiece that was season six. So let's get the show on the road. Wah, wah, wah. Okay. <clears throat> I don't know what that was. I know, I know Bradley's looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to next week when we talk about the worst episode of the show. <clears throat> I don't think that's possible. <laughs> I'm looking forward to seeing it then. Yeah. I can't remember what that is. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. Alrighty. Let's get into it then. He just loved Martha Logan stabbing Charles. That's all it is. I I I don't mm, mm. <laughs> I was gonna say I don't hate it, but I kind of do. <laughs> It's okay, Bradley. I can see your excitement. All right. Welcome to 24 Faithful. We are excited today to be back and discussing season number six, episode seven through 12 today. My name is Joshua Rivers, your host, and joined as always by Joel Wood and Bradley Adams. Good to have you guys here. It's good to be here. Yeah, some of us are excited to talk about season six. Some of us are not. I am always, <laughs> I am always excited to talk about uh, season six. No. <laughs> but regardless of the excitement level, we are here to talk about it. And so definitely looking forward to being able to at least get some different perspectives on things that happen in this portion. And actually, we're going to be backtracking just a little bit, uh, just because there was some pieces there that happened in episode uh, five and six that we didn't really mention. But, and that is in regards to Jack's family, because as we get into this, we're introduced to more of his family. We are obviously very familiar with Terry and Kim. And then also we were introduced to Aunt Ethel in season one and Aunt Carol in season two, but that was just by reference. And so, so we have those uh, references to um, extended family, but now we're getting introduced to Jack's brother, Graham and his brother, Philip, which as we start to get through here, we realize that this isn't actually the first time that we've seen Jack's brother. Um, he was in season number five, but we didn't know the relationship uh, at that point. And so, but then we're also introduced to Jack's father, Philip. And then there's also Graham's wife and son, Marilyn and Josh, that are in here as well. And <laughs> it's very interesting if you were to watch the videos in here, you see Joel making thumbs up and thumbs down periodically throughout this. But we see that there, uh, when the nuke went off, that there was a connection that was discovered between uh, 
between that and Jack's family. And so Jack proceeds to confront them. He confronts Graham first because Philip was uh, missing, couldn't find him. Um, but then when they finally meet him, Graham's ends up turning on both of them and then orders Jack and Philip to be killed, which of course doesn't work. And uh, it, it was reminiscent to several different seasons previously when that type of thing took place. But anyway, uh, so so there's that. Then Jack and Philip work together to be able to try to find Graham. And they get him and Jack interrogates him. And then we get some very interesting things or maybe some interesting things that happen in that that course. And I know Bradley has some great comments on this. <laughs> Well, I'm kind of mixed on the interrogation of Graham uh, from Jack. Because actually, as a scene, I think it works. I think Kiefer is probably at his best of season six in this. Um, particularly when Graham sort of reveals that he was behind David Palmer and all the stuff that happened in season five. And Jack just goes off on one and Kiefer is superb there. But I think part of part of the criticism that comes externally for season six from a lot of people is that it's where the violence and the torture and the sort of fetishization of all of those things sort of hit a, hit a peak. And, you know, we see in season seven that they go the opposite direction and CTU's disbanded and we're going by the book and torture is the worst thing ever. You, you, you see that they kind of tried to course correct based on the criticism of season six and potentially even some internal thoughts on season six. And I think this is where it's sort of, does end up hitting its high of it, it does feel a lot like they are really relishing it and there's a shot where jack is preparing to talk to graham and there's a it, it feels like the show is making a big thing out of graham's gonna get hurt here you're gonna enjoy it you're gonna you're gonna sit through five minutes of jack hurting this guy and yeah i'm not i'm not keen on it and it, yeah, yeah. I loved it. Are loved you just going to counter everything that I say? Or are you going to have some actual insight? Okay, I guess I'll provide some insight. So, <sighs> season five is probably the last season where season five was probably peak CTU. I don't think CTU was the same after season five. Of course, it wasn't in all in season seven. And season eight just mm, felt too Hollywood be CTU. So season six, however, when you see when you see the dynamic, when you first see Graham in season five, when he's talking about Jack and having to get rid of Jack and telling Logan to do whatever it takes to get rid of Jack. You gotta, before you even see season six or even know the relationship, you can tell that there is a history because he just seems too concerned um, with the presence of Jack. So then when you get to season six and you find out that they're brothers, <coughs> it kind of, the light bulb starts to go off. And you start to think about all the things that happened in season five after 
Graham was introduced. And it starts to make a little bit more sense. Um, but I thought the I thought the interrogation scene was well done. Um, I thought Graham did well as the uh, I guess defiant brother. Um, but the the scene where you know Graham finally breaks and he finally admits his involvement in the death of David Palmer and uh, Tony Almeida and Michelle Dessler. And, you know, when he looks and he says, this is not the first time I've tried to have you killed, Jack. It was just the, the intensity level um, was just to a 10. And I love the, the acting in the scene of all the, of all the torture scenes. And there've been a lot of them that Jack has been involved in, that is probably one of my favorites just because of the, the history, the intensity, the, the reveal, everything around it was, there were a couple of hokey parts, but for the most part, um, I thought it was very well done. The interrogation itself is great. It's a shame that the things that bookend it, namely the, the sort of focus on, oh, look, someone's going to get hurt here. Let's, let's enjoy this. And the end of it, which is stopped. Jack, I mean, Jack is stopped by looking up and seeing Philip in the doorway, which the whole thing logically makes no sense. And it's just a ridiculous end. And then, of course, Philip killing Graham in ugh, ugh, just a horrible twist. At the time... At the time, <laughs> Jack was not aware of his father's involvement in the day's events. So at the time, when he looked up and he saw his father in the doorway, the adrenaline started to wear off and reality started to hit. And he didn't want to go as far because if he would have kept going, he would have killed, he would have killed his brother. Oh no, I don't. I, I don't disagree with the point. It just it doesn't work as a scene at all. So it's it's kind of Philip, without saying a word, kind of talking Jack off the ledge of killing his brother. Shame. Well, which is which is interesting though, because I mean, at that point, you see Philip like he wants Jack to stop, and then Jack stops, and then Philip kills him to frame Jack or make it look like Jack was the one that killed. So, I mean, he should have just stayed away, let Jack just finish what he was going to do. And th th that would have been better. Cause I mean, it, it did seem weird. Cause I mean, like I do understand, okay, there, okay. There's family. He doesn't want to, I mean, he didn't really, I, I don't think he really wanted to kill Graham necessarily at that point. He was obviously very much adrenaline and very physical because that's, part of who he is but i don't think he necessarily wanted to kill his brother and i don't think he wanted to kill his brother in front of his dad that would probably be like even worse but but even still i mean it just i don't know i i, I think it works to the point that we kind of mentioned last week to where when when he killed curtis and 
that he's talking to Bill and he's like, I can't do this. I can't do this. I'm not ready for this. And then we see after, as a result of this, Jack's talking to Bill later and Bill, Bill's questioning him saying, Hey, this is, this is what happened here. And, and Jack's like, yes, I lost control. It's like, I told you I wasn't ready for this. And, and so, I mean, this just kind of goes to prove that, okay, Jack, I mean, it kind of goes, I guess, shows his instability emotionally at that point to kind of emphasize that part. But I think that's the only part that it really serves. And I think ultimately Philip, his, I mean, his motivations for killing Graham is to shut him up. And I think his motivations for stopping Jack is partly that, uh, if Jack doesn't, you know, Jack has to stop questioning him because what could Graham tell him? There is a part of that. But I think there's a probably also a part in his weird motivations that never really make sense to me at all or can uh, attach to me at all that he doesn't want Jack killing his brother because he loves him and he wants the best for Jack, despite the fact that he's going to spend the next 15 hours of the day trying to kill him. I, I feel like that's, that's, that's all I can come up with. That that makes sense to me, but then it also doesn't make sense. But that's because Philip doesn't make sense as a character. Yeah. I think Philip is I think Philip was great. Um the actor is pretty good. Um yes. I I I like James Cromwell, but his performance I, I refuse to believe that he has an Oscar nomination based on his performance in 24. I, I just refuse to believe it because whatever percentage of effort he's putting in, it's in the single figures. Well, I think that is your opinion, Bradley. Okay. I think that uh, he's a particularly uh, good villain uh, that I wish we had more of. Um, I could have done without the whole, uh, you know, I want Josh storyline. That's his entire role. He doesn't have a role beyond that. You say he's a great villain, but you don't like the only thing he does. He, well, he also wants, he also wants the circuit board and working with the Chinese. That part I like. That's all to do with Josh. If they, if they could just redo the little, the whole Josh thing then I would have probably been a little bit better. But that's the thing. I mean, that's like, that's like his whole underlying premise is, I mean, he's always constantly going back and forth between it's like, I'm doing this for you. And he's saying it either to Josh or to Jack at different times, or he's like, I'm doing this for you, but I'm going to kill you if I have to. It's like, what? (laughs) His entire role, his entire role. So, so he's in what five episodes here from, uh, 11 till 12 till 4 p.m. He's in five episodes here and he comes back later in the season. And in these five episodes, his entire motivation, the thing that drives him through everything, yes, he ends up with the whole Josh hostage situation and everything, but the whole basis behind it is that he wants to cover himself. He wants to cover BXJ. He wants to cover Graham's involvement, his own involvement, and prevent him and his family going to prison and his company being completely destroyed because... He was involved in the, nu- in the selling of the nuclear bombs. He is indirectly responsible, or possibly directly responsible, depending on how you look at it, for the fact that a bomb went off in Valencia and killed 12,000 people and might kill millions more elsewhere. He is involved in that. 
And everything he does in these five hours, before we meet him and when we've seen him, is in order to cover himself and to not get arrested and not be put in prison and possibly face a death penalty. That's his motivation. But that's it. And he doesn't offer anything as a villain. He just, he, he makes phone calls and leads things and kidnaps Josh from a hotel room and makes it obvious that he's kidnapping Josh to Josh. He's in the, he's in the next room speaking very loudly to Marilyn about how he's going to go and kill Josh. And I just, like, I, he ugh, frustrates me. It really frustrates me because I don't see what the point of it is. I don't see what he adds to these episodes. I don't see what his role adds. I get the whole, um, the idea that if, you know, make it about Jack's family and that makes it difficult and complicated for him. And it's in theory an interesting dynamic, but it's not because Philip just doesn't have anything as a character. Bradley, you sound upset. Um, Sorry. Sorry. So <laughs> I'm going to ask you to mute your microphone, calm down a little bit. Okay, drink, drink, drink your water. Philip, first of all, I think you're being way too harsh on Philip. Okay, now I will admit, you know, he's probably not the best villain in 24. Um, but I like dynamic of of doing something different because every villain that 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 Jack is has faced so far has you know he's had some kind of history but the the family history is something that they hadn't tried yet so it was it was something different um and i mean who doesn't want a a murderous father and a brother who kills all my friends living the dream so I thought from that aspect it was it was okay. I thought they did a little too much trying to connect all the tissue, all the because season six was in large part about connecting it to the overall plot of season five. The overall um Sintot's nerve gas conspiracy. A lot of season six was about connecting the tissue to that plot. And I thought that there was the the gas conspiracy plot started off real well. But then after after a point it started to get kind of convoluted and confusing because of the amount of twists and turns that happened um, in revealing people during that conspiracy. So from that aspect, I thought it was a little bit much, but I thought there was a lot more they could have done with Philip that they did not do. Um, and a majority of that has to do with the Josh plot. I'm not against the the kidnapping of Josh um, as a concept. The idea is okay. 
the execution of it um, could have been done a lot better. And some of the dialogue that was exchanged between Josh and Philip was a little cringeworthy, uh, putting it mildly. But I thought the premise and the idea was was solid. I just didn't particularly like the execution of it and the way it played out um, through the rest of the season. That's Philip in general. That's Philip in general. Bradley, I agree. I, I think he could have been a good character. He could have been used well, but as you said, it was not executed well. <clears throat> and I like the the premise too that they they started going toward where it looked like Graham was going behind his father's back and his father was maybe not clean, but he wasn't like terrorist level or anything like that and just kind of getting put in a bad spot. And I, I, I could have seen how maybe that could have worked, but it they, they didn't do well and it looked like they had a certain idea of what they wanted to do. And like you said, they were just trying to use little tiny strings to try to string it together and make it work and it wasn't working instead of like letting the story go where it needs to go they it's like this is what we want and they're trying to force the story to fit what they want i mean it's a huge plot device they do that constantly through the season but but yeah that's definitely i mean i don't know it it was okay but they definitely took it too far and it probably would have been not as bad if they would have just left philip leaving mid-season and never coming back later but we'll talk about that when we when he comes back but well that's there are two there are two other main things i haven't mentioned yet that bug me about philip one of them is the fact that he disappears at 4 p.m and then comes back at i think 3 till 4 a.m so he's gone for 11 episodes it's weird and you kind of when he i know we'll talk about it in two weeks time but when he does come back in later in the season you kind of go oh yeah he existed because you forget about him. You forget about that whole storyline. Uh, Philip is barely mentioned, I think, beyond the episode after that he leaves. Jack always sort of says, I'll fill you in later to Bill. And, you know, there's stuff with Logan and Gredenko and Fayed and Audrey and whatever that we get to before we even think about Philip again. So much happens in this season that he just disappears into the background. And you kind of, you don't realise he's gone because his value when he's there isn't, great anyway but that that doesn't really work for me and the other thing that is strange is that when it comes to the end of this portion of his storyline he spent the last four hours trying to find Gridenko. you know he spent all that time uh leaving Marilyn and, and kidnapping josh that the whole point was to find Gridenko. he wanted his men to find Gridenko and kill him basically to cover his involvement it wasn't find him and let's also stop the nuclear bombs or find out where they are while we also cover our own backs. No, no, it was just kill Gredenko. We've got, we've got to get rid of him, get rid of anyone that can tie BXJ and Philip to the nukes and be done with it. And then just before he leaves, he decides that not only is he not going to kill Jack, which doesn't really make sense, and then he decides that he's going to suddenly help. And again, that doesn't really make sense to me. Well, we're yeah, getting, a little off, getting a little off track here. Um, are we? Yes, because we're getting a little too far into the weeds here. But I... It's about Philip. I th- yeah, but, you know, that's... 
we'll talk about when he comes back we're later. Still, we're still in 4 p.m. here, Joel. That's, I, I understand that. But Philip is is the one thing I will say, the one thing I agree with you on, is that he shouldn't have disappeared for 11 episodes. That part I will agree with. If they were going to introduce Philip, now it probably has something to do with how many episodes they look they, you know, signed James Cromwell on for. But if they were going to introduce him and they signed him up for that many episodes and they knew that they were going to use him later on in the season, then they should have waited until later on in the season before they introduced him. So the whole thing with, uh, with Graham and the reveal and Philip probably could have been better saved for say the middle of the season or the back, or the back third of the season and then just let it play straight from there. Because by the time Philip comes back, you almost forget he's there. You almost forget that, okay, 11, 11 hours ago, you know, he tried to kill Jack. You almost forget that because, you know, 11 episodes in, in real time, that's, you know, four months that, you haven't seen Philip. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, people watching the season, you know, they haven't seen him in four months. So, me personally, I would have forgotten about it. So, I thought that you kind of lost any momentum that you might have had had you just waited to, like, say, how many episodes was he in total? Eight. Eight. Okay, so you wait till episode... 15 and reveal him and then just carry that out through the rest of the rest of the season maybe have an episode here and there that he's not in but you just carry that thread out throughout the rest of the season and it might flow a little bit better than it did you know how they constructed it does this change of heart make sense to you no okay good mm -hmm. that, that's all i wanted to know does it does it doesn't make sense not yeah not everything that they did made sense Bradley but <laughs> you know but overall I think with just a little few minor tweaks they could have made the storyline a little more uh coherent uh his change of heart probably being one of those minor tweaks yeah. Well, anyway, as, as, as you alluded to Bradley, yeah, he had that change of heart or whatever, and he decides to leave his phone with a message for Jack to call a certain number. And so Jack, he's, he sees that and he starts looking around still cause he's looking for his father. And then when he realizes he's not going to find him, he calls the number <laughs> and we hear the voice back from season five and Logan is revealed like nice full beard and everything going on. And, and so it's, and so, yeah, that's a whole new thing. And so he says, here, I can help you. He's got to come see to you knows where to find me. So you can come, come see me and I can help. 
And so apparently he's had like a, a revival of sorts and had time to reconsider his ways and all that kind of stuff. And so he's just wanting to help, just wanted to be good and not asking for anything in return. And so we see this new and improved Charles Logan. I'm, I'm going to throw in my one reservation about this storyline. Before I, before I praise it, Joel, before you throw yourself back in your chair, my one reservation is that the way Jack is led to Logan and the way he calls him and the way that episode ends makes the whole search for the nuclear bombs feel like a game of Cluedo. In the episode, it just, it, you know, that the, the, the two, three episodes leading up to that have not been good, watching these back. And at the end of what was a struggle of an hour, this feels like, okay, it's a board game. It feels like, yep. We know we know, there's no real tension to this. It's just, oh look, here's Charles Logan. He can help. Okay, well, why you know why was this not a thing earlier? I get why Jack and CTU wouldn't go to him. Why is oh the whole oh you must have exhausted all of your leads, all of your options to come to me? Well, if you had information, why didn't you come forward? Anyway, I digress. Yeah, the actual well, sort of well, reborn Charles Logan. Sorry, go on. Yeah, to go with that, though, because you, you have Philip constantly saying and searching for Gradenko. It's like, I can't yeah. find Gradenko. We need to find Gradenko. And he had this contact with Logan, who apparently can get in touch with Gradenko. I mean, why didn't he utilize that resource himself? But anyway, yeah. Right. Yeah. That's my, that's my main criticism. Actual reformed, um, brand new, improved Logan, and Gregory Itzin has that outstanding i'm all in on that all in on that he is <clears throat> you know we talked before about how he was inconsistent in season five from season four and a little bit himself and the way he approached being president and the nervousness and the shirking of responsibility and then that big switch to sort of being in control and here we see you know, we've seen, what, two or maybe three different sides of Charles Logan already, and we see a fourth here. We see another one here, and it is it is really fun. It is really nice. I believe it the whole time. I like that, you know, we spend these four episodes with him, and there's no real uh, intimation that he's going, he's actually lying to Jack. You know, in season season eight, there are bits of it, and season five, of course, and all, all of the stuff involving his his traitorous side. But you believe it here. And everything he does, he does on the side of Jack, on the side of wanting to stop these nuclear bombs. And it works. I, I, I really love it. I kept waiting for Charles Logan to turn. I kept waiting for the ultimate, ultimate reveal. And I'm talking about when I watched the season for the first time. I was waiting for the ultimate reveal that Logan was either working with them or knew what was going on or had some kind of ulterior motives. Uh, that never happened. A little disappointed um, because I thought that while certain people can be redeemed, Almeida, I felt like there were certain villains that just did not need to be redeemed. And I felt like Logan was one of them. Now, I didn't mind the, the storyline itself. 
um, him working with with Jack and and Bill and the the tense phone call between him and and Wayne when you thought that when you realized the fact that Wayne is going to have to issue a temporary furlough to the man you know that basically killed his brother so the the history there of the fact that it was Wayne Palmer that had to issue that furlough I thought was good storytelling um something I was always curious about that I I'm not sure if there was ever any resolution to was during season five when Logan was essentially <clears throat> taking orders from Graham. Did he know at that time that Graham was Jack's brother? Uh, I don't think so. Okay, that's always one thing that I was curious about mm-hmm. because you wonder how much about Graham did Logan, because even though he's a villain and we're conditioned not to like him, um, he actually is very smart. Um, and he looks like the person that would do his due diligence, his research before getting in bed with certain people. So it kind of makes you wonder if he did his research on Graham or if he just kind of blindly followed him, so to speak, and took his orders. Um, But as far as season six goes, I thought the storyline was played out very well. Um, You could tell that he wanted to, in the back of my mind, I always thought that he wanted to help because he thought that maybe if I help them stop this attack, even though he didn't say it outright, he was probably hoping that there would be a good faith gesture that maybe they would end his house arrest or take that into consideration for the remainder of his sentence. Um, I never thought, even though he seemed genuine, I never thought that his his means were completely 100% innocent his intentions this is why i quite love the i mean you sort of alluded to it as a redemption type thing it never feels like that the whole process he he outlines to jack very very quickly early on that he doesn't want anything in return he doesn't want immunity he doesn't want um a pardon he doesn't want to be lifted from his house arrest obviously you know he does want to be lifted from his house arrest and he'd love a pardon but he's not going to ask for it he doesn't he knows he won't get it and ultimately the the it fits in with his new reformed version of his character that he's very much in uh, keeping with his christianity and he sees what he's done is wrong and he wants to make up for it he knows he'll probably never do that but he wants to try and so actually offering to help jack and wayne and everyone with this and not want anything in return and i say that the you know there's that line where he well, that scene where he's standing in the mirror getting dressed and he reads a Bible line to himself. I can't remember what it is. And he ends it with one step at a time, Charles. And it, it is just wonderful, actually, to see. I don't think actually that many fans and, you know, probably us would look at Logan ever and think, you know what? He killed David Palmer, but all the stuff he did in season six is good guy. Or if he'd done more stuff. I don't think we'd have ever had that turn back. But ultimately, it's not about that. 
you know, it's not about Logan becoming a good character again. It's about us, I think, and the show recognizing that even someone like Logan and it, and the show does this so many times that good characters do bad things and bad characters do good things. And it's a reminder that characters are fluid and characters have different motivations and characters are not black and white that Logan helped mastermind this nerve gas conspiracy and helped mastermind the assassination of David Palmer. But he's also having lost everything knows that or sees that his, his mistakes and sees that actually he wants to help now. He wants to help stop worse things happening to the country. I think that, I think it really works. And I think it's in, I mean, he's fantastic in season five, but he's so good here. He's so good here. Yeah. I, I, I like, I liked the the storyline itself. I was just when it was when it was over. I was just sitting there thinking to myself, like, "That's it." Like I expected it to go on longer than it did, and then it just kind of ended abruptly for me. So that may be my only complaint is that it ended too abruptly like it just it felt like the ending just came out of nowhere and i was just sitting there thinking to myself like that's it that's 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 all we got yeah i don't massively like the way it ends you know we 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 had in that last episode of him he has the great interactions with gene smart gene smart wonderful in season five great here and it's a really nice sort of it's the dynamic that Martha wanted it to be at the end of season five, essentially. And finally it gets the chance to play out and it's great. And then she stabs him for the sake of shock value. I don't really see anything beyond it. And then he has he you know, the episode ends, he's in the ambulance and he's crashing. And then that's the cliffhanger. And then he doesn't exist in the previously. I know we're jumping ahead to technically next week's episodes, but it fits in here. Um, he's not in the previously, and he's never mentioned again. And the next time we hear anything about Charles Logan and that cliffhanger from, as you said earlier, real time, back in the days of the 2000s when it aired, 37 months. 37 months between 6 till 7 p.m. in day 6 and I think it's 8 till 9 a.m. in day 8 when he first comes back in, there are 37 months of real world time that pass. And Charles Logan has never been mentioned. And that just, it feels so weird that something significant to a significant character like Logan can happen and then just is ignored. I ain't got nothing else to add on that one. That, 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 that'll do it. <laughs> Still with us, Josh. Did we lose Josh? Feels like we might have lost Josh. Ladies and gentlemen, I think we lost our host. <laughs> oh. Okay. Well, uh, what do you want to do here, Bradley? <laughs> <laughs> this is the first, ladies and gentlemen. Okay. Can you hear me this way? There yes. we go. Okay, my microphone stopped working. For some Welcome reason. back, Josh. You can just you can just cut out that uh, thirty seconds there. It's okay. Yeah. Oh, uh, okay. Um, so anyway, you're the expert here. Well, anyway, just before all of this happened with Logan and all this kind of stuff, we have the whole situation with Bayed 
going on to where he has these nukes, but he needs to be able to arm them. And so he needs to get somebody that can be able to program it. And so there's this whole mysterious conversation that goes on um, behind the scenes or kind of leading up to it. And then the big reveal is that Morris is the one that is targeted to bring in to be able to arm the nukes. And, and so this whole thing is staged with his brother was injured in the first blast and he's in the hospital. And so Morris is struggling with, I need to go see my brother. And they're like, no, 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 we need to get this work done. We need to stop all these other nukes from being able to go on. We got to figure this out. And so he's going through and doing all this. And that that whole thing with his brother in the hospital was all set up to get Morris out of the building so he can be captured. Um, And then he's tortured and goes through all that. And he ends up giving I had the ability to be able to arm the nukes and it's just a, it's a really interesting thing. And I think that Carlo Rota does a fantastic job as he goes through and the acting is, is like phenomenal as he shows all, I mean, goes through all of that. I love the premise of it as well. I think just the concept of them taking a tech from CTU, someone we like, someone we know, <laughs> and putting him in this situation that's extremely dangerous and a terrorist is going to kill him and he's got to help him out basically i I think that really works and you know the torture again the debatable as to how much over the line it goes anyway um but you are right carlo wrote is great in it i'm slightly less keen on the fact that they do the um drinking and the breaking sobriety scene about five times in about five episodes not massively keen on that but it works the first time i think so i'll give it that um yeah joel is doing some weird hand gestures in our video so i I feel like he has something to say that was uh that was me imitating the uh the drinking portion and uh me falling back in the chair was him falling off the wagon so, he didn't. He didn't. He didn't metabolize the alcohol. That is a genuine line from this season, which I am he, staggered by because it's awful. What does that even mean? <laughs> I don't even look. Don't don't eat. Don't get me started. Look, my dad. My dad was was a drinker for twenty, thirty years. I've never heard him say anything about metabolizing the alcohol. Okay, so I don't know how that actually happens. I don't know what metabolizing alcohol means. Not a drinker myself. So, um, but I'm just going to take that as his uh, unusual verbiage, which comes into play more than once. There's more than one occasion where he's said some stuff, and I've had to look it up to see what exactly he was saying (laughs) because his wording is a little unique. I will say, um, but I thought it was a decent, because you know, they, they do this in every season, right? They try to <clears throat> find at least one or two CTU agents to give these little minor storylines to, these little um, 
Cliff's Note storylines that are not critical to the overall plot, but they're just little side little side storylines to kind of keep you engaged. And once Morris was done uh, arming the the nuclear bombs, everything else was kind of it was a little side plot, but it was enough to keep you engaged because it connected to, you know, it established a character development. Because a guy like Morris, right, he's not just going to arm nuclear bombs and then just, you know, come back to see to you like everything's fine. So it made sense in that respect. Um, I thought I thought the acting was was pretty good, um, especially the the banter between him and Chloe, um, the relationship between him and uh, Milo. You kind of saw a, a steady progression of that throughout the season, to you know them wanting to kill each other at the beginning of the season, to them kind of having a steady amount of respect for each other um, at the middle of the season. So you kind of saw that progress. So I, I enjoyed, for the most part, aside from the metabolization of the alcohol, <clears throat> I enjoyed, for the most part, um, the storyline that Morris was in because I thought it fit how a normal person, which that's really all I want. I just want reality. I want, you know, in shows like this, I just want them to make sense as to how it would happen in the real world. And I thought mm -hmm. the way the way Morris reacted um, to having it on those nuclear bombs is pretty spot on to how a normal person probably would have reacted, especially someone that was a, I guess you could say, a recovering alcoholic. Yeah, and the reality thing is kind of <laughs> impedes on a little bit of my enjoyment of it because, <clears throat> or, or in terms of the repeated nature of it, the fact that it's a sort of a discussion point every 20 minutes that Nadia mentions it and Milo mentions it and Chloe's concerned about it and, you know, then Morris does something that makes it seem like he's gone again and everyone's concerned again and it goes through... It, like it's the the reality part of that is what what fuels it because ultimately you can't just have it where Chloe checks it once and okay we're fine and you just forget about it that's that's kind of part of my frustration with Philip that he gets forget forgotten this doesn't get forgotten but it just becomes a little bit irritating that it keeps on going I think it is like you say it it, it works as a reality thing and actually the way that Morris deals with it feels very very real but it just doesn't make for great television, I don't think, the way that they handle it. Now, of course, the that second nuke set up a whole other scenario in, well, not the White House, I guess, but... It is the for, White House. Are, are they in the White House? Okay. They're in the bunker. Okay. Um, yeah, I lost track of where that actually was because there's a lot of the seasons where the president is not located in the White House. 
Um, anyway, so the, there's this whole setup that starts to come, and there's an assassination plot that is brought up where, um, where, where Tom has his proposal, and it gets rejected, and he's about to resign, and then Reed comes to him and says, hey, I know some like-minded people that want to make things happen, and we might have to do something drastic to be able to get Noah Daniels in the president's seat so he can sign off on your order. And so this whole thing goes, goes off and it, I, I have mixed feelings about how this, about, about the whole situation. I, I kind of like maybe the premise, but maybe the way it was executed wasn't real good. I'm, I'm still not a hundred percent sure on how, how I feel about it. Wasn't um, season six, I believe, the first season <clears throat> where the president was actually located in the White House? Uh, no, Logan at the end of season four. In the season. Was that the White House? Okay, I think yeah. So. He, I, think, I, think he, I think it is. Yeah. It might have been. Because I always thought that they were... Like it it's a complete. I mean, they use a complete. If it is, it, they use a completely different set for the, the what they call the bunker in both seasons. But I'm pretty sure he is in the White House in season four. Okay. I thought season six was the first season that they were actually in the White House. Hmm. I, I guess that could be line. some research for another time. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure Bradley will let us know next week. Yeah, I'm sure I will. Yeah, I I hate this storyline. I really hate it. It's it's so bad. Um, the the concept of two or, or a couple of people. I mean, Reed Pollock is deputy chief of staff, so he's not even really he's not even really in position. He kind of exists below actual relevant people. And then him and Carson. I don't even like. He's he he gets under under the proviso of being a policy analyst. I think. But like he just is again, he's just no one. And these two nobodies decide that okay, um, Tom Lennox's plan isn't being in being implemented, and that's a bad idea. And therefore, we need to kill the president. I mean, it, it's 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 insane. It's absolutely insane. And the fact that you start off with Tom Peter McNichol. I think I mentioned it before that he is so good. He is so good throughout the season. But Tom Lennox as a character has so many frustrating scenes and so much frustrating dialogue. And Peter McNichol, when he is raging about the fact that Wayne shot him down, it's harsh, but Wayne shot him down, that's fantastic. And then he, for a moment, he definitely does go along with his plan. And then he doesn't really do a whole lot about it to try and stop it. And then he gets caught being really stupid and when he does try and do something about it, and then he tries to take the high road a little bit and, you know, rightly turns Reed and Carson in, but is also a bit like, oh, I had nothing to do with this. I was, I was only trying to find information. And it's, it's frustrating. And, you know, it feeds again into this, this topic that we haven't talked about yet, but the whole, uh, the, the, the racial politics angle and the fact that this exists to frame Assad. And again, it's there for the debate. You know, we, we see here that, it's Wayne's own people that have turned against him. It's not Assad. 
it's his own people. But again, this ends up being used by Noah Daniels as the racial politics angle and the aren't Muslims bad and we need to, um, you know, we need to detain them and, and find out what all of them know because they're all potentially working with terror. It's so tiresome. And I mean, even the, even the bomb exploding is just meh. Just meh. Bradley, I do not like how you're talking about the president of the United States. I'm not talking in the slightest bit about the president of the United States. I'm talking about the plot to kill him. Well, I thought that first of all, if there was a plot, if there was a plot to kill him, there should have been. I understand uh, the two the two nobodies that <clears throat> uh, put the plan in motion, but. Do we ever find out who was behind it? Like, really behind it? No, it, it's, it's Reed and Carson. That's it. So they're the ones that came up with the plan. Who knows? They're the only two people we ever see involved. See, I felt like it would have been better if they would have had, like, Vice President Daniels or his chief of or not chief of staff, but his assistant, the woman, whatever her name is, um, you know, had somebody like that be behind it. But just having Reed and Carson um, seem like they conjured up this master plan felt a little unrealistic to me. I felt like if they were going to go through with the plot, which the plot itself I didn't have an issue with, um, <clears throat> it's just I felt like the players that they chose to be involved were a little underwhelming because we haven't had time to get invested in those characters yet. If we would have had a little bit more time to get invested in those characters before they revealed their plot, it might have come off a little better. But up until that point, they were just two nobodies. They were just two regular guys. Um, they were plotting to kill the president. So it just it came off flat because we hadn't really had enough time to get to know these characters, much less become invested in their uh, quote-unquote betrayal. And also the fact that Reed is completely useless. Like... His, his lying for the hour up until the bomb goes off, <laughs> covering for Tom, is terrible. The fact that no one gets suspicious is insane. The fact that he believes that Tom will actually not turn them in straight away, despite the fact he's already said that they're, he's against them, and he was against them from the start, that's a lie, but anyway. You know, he goes along with this. And also, the fact that he planted the bomb and it ended up getting discovered before it killed Wayne. Like, he... It, is that, I mean, it was at the point that these guys are, they're um, ideologists, I guess. They have this belief that killing Wayne is the right idea, but they're not the most brilliant at doing things. I don't know. Like, I, I don't know. It just, it, it just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it just, yeah. 
it was a it was a subpar execution for sure and it, I don't know. I it, it, again, it's it's another one of those plot devices to where it's like they wanted to do something, and it seems like there wasn't a lot of forethought into it to be able to set it up the way it needed to be set up. And so they had this whole convoluted plan that kind of goes through, and it, yeah. The White House storyline to this point, and to an extent for most of the season after it um, revolves around Tom's security plan and the detaining of Muslims and, you know, all that nonsense with Karen Hayes. And that, that all stems from, from that plan and all of that, everything in the white house revolves around the idea that Wayne is too weak and he is working with the people that a lot of the cabinet can see as the enemy rather than actually looking at them as the enemy. And, you know, we get into the whole, um, taking retaliation against Assad's country and things like that. This is just feels like, like you said, an excuse to do something. They wanted to do something in the White House, okay. But it's got to be something different than just Tom's policy thing. And so we get four hours of build-up to Wayne potentially being assassinated. It, it, it exists for the sake of existence, and this is one of my main criticisms of season six, that so much of it just exists for the sake of existing. Mm-hmm. There are too many plot threads that just seem like they are there just to be there. <laughs> um, I thought the <laughs> the assassination or the attempted assassination of Wayne Palmer should have been made a bigger deal, in my opinion. Um, because it's the attempted assassination of a sitting United States president should be a bigger deal. Um, every attempted assassination on David Palmer was made to be a big deal. They, I felt like they had the attempted assassination plot. They had like the episode after that, where they had the aftermath of it. And then that was it. The rest of it was deciding whether or not to revive Wayne Palmer. Um, And there was really no follow-up other than as soon as Reed was let out of his uh, holding cell or area or whatever you want to call it, um, he immediately has them arrested. And I'm like, that's that's it. That's the that's the only follow up. I just felt like it should have been made a bigger deal because it's the attempted assassination of the United States president. It should have been a plot thread that played out throughout the rest of the season. Maybe not in every episode, but at least have a plot thread going through to where you know that there's an investigation going on and you know that they're trying to figure out who was behind it because just having Reed and Carson come up with this, it's one of those storylines that I felt like 24 dropped the ball with because they could have been so much bigger than it actually was. And I felt like they should have came up with a little bit more 
it's yeah. all it is is all it is is wouldn't it be cool if we tried to kill Wayne? That's it. That's all there is to it. It was not yeah. cool. Yeah, I mean, they, they, it seems like they gave more attention to a lot smaller things that happened. I mean, the drinking problem and whatever. It almost seems like some of those things are getting a lot more precedence and attention than, oh my word, the president was just, <laughs> there was this assassination attempt. And so, I mean, it was one thing, because I mean, this isn't the first assassination attempt. We had the one on uh, David Palmer, end of season two, but that was at the very end of the season which made it easy for them to not have to delve into that too extensively on the show. And so, but you're doing this and still on the first half of the season and yeah, there needs to be something to the show. Cause I mean, that's a major, major thing. And so, yeah, there was very little done with that, but anyway, talk value without substance is what I call it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But we'll get into more about what happens or doesn't happen with the presidency and the vice presidency and all the other drama that ensues between all of that as we come back next week and look into seasons uh, or episodes 13 through 18 and be able to get a lot more exciting things that we get to talk about <laughs> and mixed reactions on the back side of the microphones here but anyway we are gonna sign off for this week if you have any feedback you can give us a call 405-771-0567 and leave a voicemail there that we can be able to include on the podcast we'd love to hear your voice or you can go to 24faithful.com and write in some feedback as well and we would love to be able to hear from you. You can also find us on Twitter, and that can be another way. But we really want to hear from you. And so with that, we're going to go ahead and sign off for this week. And we will come back next week to talk about episodes 13 through 18. Okay. You know. Okay, so how do you really feel, Joel? <laughs> Love it. You know, since we since I know that we don't have these uh uh this season absolutely sucked. I mean Jesus Christ. Um <laughs> I just <laughs> I, I You're still recording, you can edit that in, right, Josh? <laughs> Leave that part out, Josh. Okay. <laughs> I just, <laughs> just it's hard for me to get through this episode. Um I just figured, you know, two things. Number one, you know, I figure since this is an audio podcast and not a video podcast, that while Josh and Bradley are speaking, I want to see if it's possible through my uh, reactions and my movements for me to have them uh, lose their train of thought or break their break their concentration or have them acknowledge me in the middle of their, uh, <laughs> out of me being a goofball. Well, I have notes, so I don't lose my train of thought. So, uh, sure you do, Bradley. You don't have to give me credit. Number two, um, I figured since, uh, 
since the season was not the best season of 24, that it doesn't pay to be negative, Bradley. It doesn't benefit anybody. Nobody wants to listen to a podcast that's just completely negative for an hour and five minutes. So I figure since the season was horrible, why not have fun with it? So doggone it, that's what I'm doing, Bradley. I'm having oh. fun. Everything at least, is at least I legitimately believed that Terry was a good character. <clears throat> well, that, that was just too far gone. There's no way I could have covered for that. I would have sounded <laughs> forced. So I'm going to have fun with it. Everything is great. The season is fabulous. I love Wayne Palmer. God bless Philip Bauer. <laughs> and there needs uh, to be, there can't be two bad cops, Bradley, okay? There has to be a bad cop and a good cop. So since you've obviously taken up the mantle of the bad cop for this season, I figure I might as well be the good cop. So who's going to be the bad cop for season seven? <laughs> that will be me. I've already laid oh. it out. I've already planned it. I'm also really looking forward to Joel defending Rena Sofa in a couple of weeks. I will I will do it and I will do it with a smile on my face, Bradley. Bring back bring back Leslie Hope, I say. Okay, mute his microphone. <laughs> mute his microphone. Oh. Cut him off. He doesn't need to say anything else. Where's Alicia Cuthbert? Um <sighs> <laughs> Uh, okay. Anyway, you're, you're hurting my positivity here. All right, you're bringing the mood down. Oh, excellent stuff. I love it. I I appreciate it because it brings definitely a lot more dynamics to the podcast. Sure. It's not just all of us saying, "Yeah, I love that." Oh, yes, I love who that. Wants, oh, yeah. Who, who wants Who wants to listen to an hour podcast where everybody agrees on everything? So I'm here to add levity to the situation. I'm here to add balance, Bradley. I'm the good cop. You're the bad cop. Josh is the mediator. Yep. <laughs> I'm that's in the middle. How, I, I can get swayed. <laughs> that's, that's how it works. Good cop, bad cop, mediator. Next season, go. it'll be reversed. At least I bought the one being interrogated. <laughs> Not yet. Especially by Jack Bauer. That doesn't usually turn out very well. Although I although I will say <laughs> although I will say you've never looked better. Well, thank you. No, considering there's no video. <laughs> yes. Black videos matter. <laughs> yes, they do. <laughs> anyway, I like uh, just the Joshua Rivers name here. I should change that. I'll I'll give I'm gonna change it for next time. Well, you do. You we'll do see. That. We'll see what I change it to. That'll be the. That'll be the fun part. I'll have to think about that. Just change it. Change it to Ryan Chappelle. <laughs> uh, all right. Anyway, let's uh, let's sign it off, and we'll catch you guys uh, next week. New time next week. Yeah. New time next week. If, What's the new time? If you didn't, oh, you didn't see that email? Yeah, I wanted to be an hour later. Oh, that's right. I did see that email. So it'll be at two o'clock my time. Yes. Okay. Yeah. That's so, and I'll probably be pushing it right up to it. 
Um, but I should I should be there by by the top of the hour. Is that is that just for next week or is that like going forward? Uh, it might periodically happen, but not regularly unless we want to change it. No, I'm I'm good. I'm good with the one o'clock. Yeah. I can do two o'clock on occasion. Yeah. This works. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. That's what I was thinking. All right then. We'll catch you guys later. All right. Yeah.